Good morning, Father. Thank you. You are so good. You are overwhelmingly good. You are so good that you make this life a life that is filled with so many good things. In the face of things that are not good, you pour out and lavish upon us so much that is good. I pray, God, that you would help us today to come close to you, to learn how to listen to you, how to seek you daily and hear what the Father has to say to us each day. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can sit down or stand up or lay down or kick your shoes off if your neighbors don't complain too much. Welcome to Ordinary Faith. I know you've already heard that, but I'll say it one more time. Worship team, great job, man. They're like fired up today, man. Lots of energy there. It's good. So we're starting a new series today called So Simple. And when I get done today, you're going to go, man, that was so simple. <laughs> Let's say it together. So simple. All right. Did you get the upward lift, the lilt there? So simple. Like that. One more time. So simple. All right. Good. What's so simple? Well, we're going to be talking about just some simple things that if you do, your faith is going to grow. You're going to get stronger in Christ. You're going to know God, not just better, but you're going to actually come to know God. So we're going to talk about uh, several things over the next six, I think, six weeks that we're going to do. And today we're going to talk about the manual, the Bible. So the Bible, it had like a, a resurgence in 2020. All those people locked in their homes, I guess they wanted to know how it ended. Like, oh, it's almost over. We better read the last chapter, see what happens. <laughs> And so there really was. Uh, Barna did some research and showed that 2020 was the biggest Bible reading year of the last decade. People, yeah. people turned into the Scriptures. So, I mean, if nothing much came out, or no matter what came out of it, that's one good thing. So today we're going to talk about why read the Bible and, and some things that why it's important to us. Before I do, though, there's a ministry that we support that is a Bible ministry. And they are, they are centered out of Islamabad, Pakistan. Uh, we have to relate to them through uh, covert channels, so to speak. <laughs> right now, we're, we're, we talk with the pastor and the leader of the ministry via messenger primarily, and we send donations to them uh, through Western Union. Uh, we have vetted their ministry. We have some mission contacts in that part of the world that have gone and verified that this is a, uh, a good ministry. But what they do is they share the gospel, uh, they, they preach the gospel, start churches, but they give people Bibles. And I'm telling you, it's amazing how in, in that part of the world, which is very Islamic and, and very oppressive to Christianity, how much people just get overjoyed with the receipt of a Bible. So if you'd bring that video over, Dwayne, this is Pastor Asif. Uh, we've been connecting with him several years now, and he uh, sent me this video last night, and uh, I may have to go over here and help. I, I just, you almost got it. Just pray. Lord, move it over. Cast the devil out of the technology. It won't go. Well, it's okay. Technology. Technology, I love it. You could sit there and feel, just be contemplative for just a moment. Let me satisfy my control issues. Now everything's going. Yeah, it is. All right. Oh, good. Everything broke. It, you, the, the enemy does not want you to see this, I promise you, because I'm telling you this morning, we'll the technology has, uh, has been something else. So, we're going to take this off air for just a minute. 
And then we're going to pray. Lord, send the video over. There it is. And you'll have to put it back on air and catch up with me. And I can't. That's as big as I can get. There you go. We got sound, Jerry? In the name of Jesus Christ. Can you give Pastor me one? Sophia, Peace for Pakistan Church, Islamabad, the capital of the Pakistan. Today, uh, in this evening, uh, uh, we are very thankful to Father God for His great blessing and His love for us. And uh, we are also very thankful to our beloved sister Tamio and uh, ordinary faith uh, church leadership. They are always uh, praying for us, supporting us uh, for mission work in Pakistan and uh, free Holy Bibles uh, uh, for the new believers and uh, uh, our Christian community in the Pakistan. Last couple of the month, by the grace of God, uh, many souls come to Christ and uh, baptized. And uh, uh, by the grace of God, uh, we, we give them uh, free Holy Bibles. Beautiful gift. And they were very happy and they were blessed their families and uh, uh, they are praying and they have great testimony in their lives. They always pray for you all and uh, uh, God bless you all. Thank you so much. Can you just drag it over and then go? Live again. Are we on there? Hey, there we go. We started all over. If you can give me to that first slide. Let's pray for Pastor Asif while um, we're waiting on technology to catch up with Jesus. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for this ministry. I, in fact, I'm humbled by Pastor Asif and Bibles for Pakistan ministry just in the seat of um, persecution in, a, in a, the first country that actually constitution is based on Islamic law and Sharia, Sharia law. And here right in the middle of that, you have stationed an outpost uh, that is winning people to Christ daily, regularly. And um, so I just, I thank you for Pastor Seif and, and the ministry team that surrounds him. And I ask you, Lord God, to provide what they need, to provide the miracles, the Bibles, the courage, and the protection and uh, I pray, Lord, for blessings on the community in which they live that often goes without power because it's considered a, a second-rate community because they're Christians. And I pray, God, that you would, you would provide for them. And, Lord, I just applaud and am challenged by their faith and obedience. Thank you that we get to be a part of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you want to help um, with Bibles or anything like that, you can make a donation uh, and just either put an envelope, put missions on it, or, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to do two things at once and I'm a man. Um, or you could uh, put missions on a memo of a check, just designate the missions and we'll know where it goes, okay? So, obviously in Pakistan, the, um, the Bible is very important to their ministry. Hey, I'm back, hallelujah, it may work, I don't know, we'll see. Um, we'll see what's going on. So, uh, thank you very much. Now, where was I? I think I was going to talk about something. I can't remember what. The Bible. Okay, so, so, we, um, 
So we talk about the Bible. I mean, you go to church, I mean, there are like some, some answers. I call them the Sunday school answers. When, whenever the pastor asks ask a question, you know, you go to your pocket of answers. Jesus, church, giving, the Bible, prayer, and that's it. You know those five, you got it, you know? It just kind of seems that way sometimes. But as we, we dig into the Bible, I, I can't even, I will not be over to overemphasize how important I think it is that you are involved with, that you read, that you reflect upon, and that you share what you receive from it, the Bible. And so that's what we're talking about today. I think this is, uh, there, I think there are two things that are absolutely foundational for Christian growth, the Bible and prayer. And we're talking about the Bible this week and prayer next week. But, and there are other things on top of those. But I think if you can get those two in place, I know without the shadow of a doubt, without the shadow of an intimidation of a doubt in Christ Jesus. That's what my history teacher used to teach in sixth grade, and I still remember that. I know that it will cause your life to grow. But, so when we talk about the Bible, why do we want you to read the Bible? And why would you read the Bible? And why did 11% of America, not just Christians, but 11% of America, open their Bible on a daily basis in 2020? What did they want to know? Why did they do that? Why do we read the Bible? Do we want to know how to please God? Are we trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong? Uh, are we trying to get memos on the future, try and figure out what's about to happen, or if we're in the last chapter or not? Is it mere curiosity? I mean, is, is there some other reason? And, and here, I think, is the best reason to read a Bible, to read your Bible. Here's the best reason. To know God. To know God. All that other stuff is great. It's helpful. It comes. It, it helps you. But if when you come to know God and you begin to come to know God in His completeness as Father, Father God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, as we are soul, body, and spirit, as you come to know Him, th things begin to change and awaken in your life. And you begin to figure out why the Bible is called the living word of God. And why Paul wrote, I mean the writer of Hebrews wrote, it is alive and powerful. And so <clears throat> what the Bible does some things for us. One, it leads us to Jesus and this is priority number 1. This is priority number 1. Without Jesus, you are going to struggle understanding God. You're going to see God in a lens that came to you through religion and your own traumas. You need Jesus to clearly see what God is like and who God is. And Jesus said, by the way, I, I believe Jesus. And here's why. Dude rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. Anybody who rises, who says, hey, I'm going to die, be dead three days, then I'm going to raise from the dead. Anybody who says that and does it, you should listen to that guy. Okay? You should follow his example. So when I read the Bible and when people struggle with, with science, with evolution, with the confusions of our day, what I, I don't go to the Bible looking for answers. I go to the Bible looking, hey, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus believe? What did Jesus believe about the Word of God, about the Scriptures? So here we see in John 5.39, Jesus says to the, a bunch of Pharisees, he says, because these guys are they're students of the Old Testament, and, and they, they have this, because of their lenses and their history, they have a very myopic, closed, unhealthy, even toxic view of their own faith. And so Jesus tells them, 
search the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think they, the scriptures themselves, give you life. But the scriptures point to me. So Jesus is saying, God's word's important, but it must lead you to Jesus. It must lead you to him. So the Bible leads us to Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. I think this is a critical distinction that needs to be grasped in evangelical churches today and all churches. The Bible is inspired, it's inerrant, and it's a trustworthy. But the, Jesus is the word of God. There's the Bible and the word of God. Does, is the Bible the word of God? Yes, but Jesus is the word of God. And we can't miss that little leap. Because Jesus says in John 1.1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now here's the Apostle John taking Genesis 1.1 and transposing it directly up on Jesus. So, we see that the Bible leads us to Jesus. We see that Jesus is the Word of God. And we see that through that, Jesus in the scriptures are how we come to know God. Follow me along. I have a lot of scriptures today, by the way. And here's why I have a lot of scriptures. Because I think the word of God is powerful in its own right. And so anytime I can let the word of God say it, I get out of the way and let the word of God say it. So here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ is the visible image. Christ is what the Father looks like. No man has seen God at any time, and yet we have several divine encounters, epiphanies, if you will, in the Bible. And so if no man has seen God at any time, which Scripture plainly says, then who they must be seeing is Jesus, who is the visible image of an invisible God, God the Son. So Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Later on, chapter later, Colossians 2, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. This is how we come to know God, by coming to know Jesus. And that Bible that's either on your phone or in your lap or on your tablet, that Bible is what leads you to Jesus. Does that make sense? Bible leads you to Jesus. Jesus instructs me, teaches me, shows me God. Simple. So simple. I'm sorry. So simple. I know it just became a thing. We're going to do that a lot. You're like, it's annoying. That's why we're going to do it. All right. So, poll the room. I'm going to ask the room question. So what I need you to do is participate right now. I need you to loosen up one arm. Just, just one. Just get it ready to go. All right. If you are in this room and you read your Bible every day, I don't want you to brag or anything, but I just want you to throw up an arm. Just read it every day. Hey, that's pretty good. You guys are probably going to heaven. That's good. I'm just kidding. It was a joke. joke. Four, four times or more a week. Who does four times or more a week? You guys who just raise your hand, go ahead and throw them up. Okay? That's, that's pretty good. All right. Now, I'm not going to go any further because you're like, well, Michael, I've been, I've been in a bad streak lately. Hey, I have to. I, I've been there. I know, I know how that goes. Okay? So, that, but, uh, you know... You can leave guilt in the last church you were at. We don't do it here. So I just wanted to kind of pull the room. That's pretty good representation. That's about 40 to 50% are in the Bible pretty much every day. That's great. I'd like to see it at 100. Yeah, I know. I'm an idealist sometimes and a pessimist the other times, but still. <clears throat> so that's kind of how we're doing the Bible. So three ideas about the Bible. Today, the Bible's our God. The Bible's our connection. The Bible's our weapon. It's our guide, our connection, and our weapon. 
The Bible's our God. That's a, a saying we've used at Ordinary Faith for many years. Psalm 119. By the way, Psalm 119 is like 176 verses of David loving the Word of God. Pretty much. 170. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. <coughs> Excuse me. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. If you've heard that verse before, just give me a nod. Okay, I've heard that. Your Word guides me. Your Word lights the path for me. Verse 133, guide my steps by your word, so I will not be overcome by evil. These are written by King David, a very powerful man who did a lot of wonderful things and a lot of dumb things. But it was the word of God, it was the scriptures that carried him through into the good times and through the bad times. And that's exactly what the Bible will do for you. It will guide you. So the question I always ask, and the one I want to pose again today, is this. What is your moral authority? What is your moral authority? Michael, what's a moral authority? What tells you right from wrong? What informs the, what is right in your life and what is wrong in your life? Now, I, I, I'm old school. I, I grew up in the 70s. I mean, for a lot of you guys, that's old. For some of you guys, you go, well, he's a, still a whippersnapper. And I, uh, I wish I felt like a whippersnapper. That would be great. But you, everyone has a final authority in their life. Everyone. Everyone in America. Everyone in the Western world. Christians, atheists, uh, people who practice other faiths, they all have a moral authority. Something that tells them what's right or wrong. The majority of America and Europe and the Western world in a post-Christian culture is that you are your own moral authority. You decide what's right and wrong. And this is what we've heard since the 90s. I remember when Josh McDowell was really ranting on this, said, this is coming, relevancy is going to ruin everything. And he hit that button right on, man. He knew what he was talking about. And so what it is is this, this attitude of listen, listen, what's right for you? may or may not be right for me. Now, where I come from, we would bury that in the backyard and fertilize the garden with it. Okay? And what that really says is, I'm God. I'm my own God. I decide what's right. I decide what's wrong. And I can be, and, and we've heard this for decades, even since I was a kid, uh, long ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, kids. Uh, since I was a kid. You can be anything you want to be. Do what makes you happy. Find your power. Look deep inside. That will also fertilize the garden, but everything will die. (laughs) It's a message of humanism that teaches you that you decide. You're God of your life, and you decide who you are, what you are, where you are, why you are, what you will be. You decide it all. And maybe that's where you are. But let me just pose a little question. Is that really true? I mean, yeah, I know there's a lot of folks in the room that you, you grew up in a time of absolutes, and you were like, no, that's not true. But a lot of people did not. And so they've grown up in a season where you get to pick everything you want to be. So I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Is that actually true? Because if that's true, let me ask you a few questions. Did you get to pick your parents? Someone else might have made that decision. How about your nationality? Did you get to pick that? Your place of birth. 
Do you get to decide where you're going to be born? Do you get to decide your gender, your appearance, your birth order, your siblings? Because most of you, if you could have picked other siblings, you would have. <laughs> you know it. Your time in history, your mental capacity, your lifespan. These are all decisions that you had no choice in. No one asked you. Someone made a decision that these things would be for you. My point is this. The universe is much larger than you. Time and eternity is much more and much larger than you. Do you command the universe? I mean, if you're going to be your own God, you should be able to tell stars what to do. At some point, you have to work with the world and the universe in which you live. I would venture to guess that most people don't even control their own little universe. As soon as God introduces toddlers into it, your life as a God is over. Right? Who hasn't stood there arguing with a three-year-old and lost? Oh, anyway, sorry, I'm just reliving a trauma, reliving a trauma. Okay, eight traumas. Anyway. If someone else is in control, you have to learn to work with that someone else. You have to learn to live and move and grow and breathe in the system that they establish. Because you haven't established a system. So how are you going to do that? The entire world, Western world anyway, is trying to fight everything God has in place today. Trying to resist all of God's systems and God's order. And, and, and trying to make God do what they want. And I can't imagine anything more frustrating. By experience, I know that me trying to make God do what I want doesn't work out well for me. It just gives me a lot of frustration and he probably laughs a little bit. I don't know if God snickers or not, but still. So the Bible tells us this in Romans 1.21. They knew God, but they would not worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. If you try to be your own God and you try to dictate your universe or the universe, you're going to end up frustrated, dark, confused. And by the way, if you ever want to understand the state of the world today and the church today, Romans 1 will help you understand the state of the world and Romans 2 will help you understand the state of the church. They were both predicted <laughs> that this would happen. And so, but that's another sermon for another time that's way more offensive than this one. And so, so you need a source. You need a reliable source. It's evident everywhere that we need it. And I argue that the Bible is that guide. That the Bible is the tool you need to map your path, to light your way. You see, there are two foundational issues that Christianity is founded upon. That all faiths can agree upon, at least faiths that believe in a living God. And that's this. One, God exists. Two, God has something to say. God exists, and God has something to say. Let me add one more phrase. To you. God has something to say 
to you. And so that's when we come to God's Word, this thing called the Bible. Jesus says, Even more blessed are all who hear the Word of God and put it into practice. All who hear the Word of God and put it into practice. Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Through, though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it must have been built in Wyoming, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. I want you to see in, in Matthew, I mean Luke chapter eleven twenty eight, God's saying you can trust God's word. This is Jesus, the guy who rose from the dead. He said, put God's word into practice. And then he carries on in Matthew 7 and he says, build your life on the things that I'm telling you. Build your life on my instructions for your life. And we've already seen how Jesus is what God has to say. He's the word of God. John chapter 1, 1, Jesus is what God has to say. So the Bible is living and it's unchanging. The morality of the ages has been like shifting sand. I know we look at the morality of the day and we go, oh, it's never been this bad before. Oh, it has. It's been much worse. Okay. Uh, We are living the benefits of a Christian era, of a Judeo-Christian anchoring and mooring. We are still enjoying the benefits from that, even to this day. But but if you were to read a bit of the history of Rome and what Christians were enduring the 1st and 2nd and 3rd century, far worse than what you're seeing today. But morality in society is this flexible and changes with the tides and the times. Legality of an action means nothing. Just because something's legal doesn't mean that something is right. So I believe that what the Bible says is wrong or declares is right is trustworthy. Because it's said that some parts of it for near 4,000 years. And, and so it, the Bible has made these, these statements, these absolutes about things. And so when I have a Bible, I don't have to worry about the shifting sands of a culture. I can build my life on something solid, not something that will pass with the waves of society in 5 or 10 or 20 years. And I'm telling you, as I get older, those 5, 10, 20 year blinks, they just get faster and faster. I can remember stuff that happened 40 years ago. That doesn't seem right because I'm only like 19 on the inside. (laughs) We're not talking about the outside. Stop judging. Jesus also said this. Remember what I said? If Jesus said it, I trust it because he's the guy who said, I'm going to die and I'm going to live again. And he did it. So when Jesus says things, that's what I trust. And so Jesus says, John 10, 35, you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. No one's going to mess with the Bible. Many have tried. You get into the history of the Bible. It is a faith wounder. Many have tried to destroy the Word of God, and yet it's still around and it's still changing lives. So the question you have to answer today that I'm, I would love to force on you, but you, I know how it is. I've sat where you've sat, uh, well, not in this building, but in other places, and, and I have often not done what the minister asked me to do. I want you to, to figure out what is your moral God, your moral absolute in life. Your moral authority. I want you to figure it out and be honest with yourself. Because I'm reading Psalms 119 of a king who was a mess, 
who did a lot of things wrong, did a lot of things right. And he's leaning into the Word of God. He's celebrating it. He's loving it. He's enjoying it. It gave him incredible confidence to be a wonderful king, even though he, did, he made some horrendous mistakes. And this same king said, God, guide my steps by your Word. So you have to decide. What's your moral authority? And in the end, I, I'm oversimplifying, I'm sure, but I think there are only two choices. The Bible or you. Because everything that's not the Bible is often so pliable, it just ends up being you again. And so that would be my argument. So what is your God? So I think the Bible's our God. Second, I think our, the Bible is our connection. Psalm 119, again, verse 130. The teaching of your word gives light, so even the simple can understand. Hey, all you guys are like me. See that there? There we go. God for dummies. That's the Bible. That's what Bible means in Greek. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what it means. And then Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One thing I need to, we, we, we need something to inform us about God. You cannot make up God. I, I'm saying that, and I know you're probably saying, well, of course we can't make up God. Most people do. Most people are out there patchworking together their belief system from everywhere with absolutely zero filters. They're watching an episode of Supernatural and go, well, that sounds good. They're over here and they read some book on Eastern medicine or something like that and go, well, that sounds good. And they go to church and they go, well, that sounds good. And they're picking this, these pieces out of everywhere. Well, my friend said this. That sounds good. I like that. that that's you being God again. That's you picking your faith and deciding what it is. I'm not saying you, you don't need to grow in your faith and learn things. I'm just saying you need to be careful of your sources. Okay? You have to be careful of your sources. You can't invent Jesus when you actually read the Bible, the New Testament, I promise you, Jesus, the, the God that's loving and sweet and kind and kind of hippie and cool, that's what most people think of him. I promise you, he's going to scare you to death. He, the Word of God, what Jesus actually did, his story and his words are going to erase most of your false ideas about who Jesus was. If you will just get in there. And you true picture of Jesus, not one you fabricated. Why? You're going to meet him one day. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You know that's in there, right? Everyone's all stressed out about what God's not doing for them today, and they're mad because he's not blessing them, making them healthy, making them rich, when they need to just be happy that he's saving them from his wrath. That's the beginning. He blesses all that other stuff, too. But we need to stop letting bad times shake our faith. So inventing a God like that, that's really idolatry. And I didn't realize until about 10 years ago that you could actually idolaterize God. And that's what you do when you make God into something he is not. It's actually blasphemy. It's a, it's a, it's a bad, bad thing. So Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and ways. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. yeah I don't know what he's doing. He does. That's right. He does. For who can know the Lord's thoughts and who knows enough to give him advice? 
How many of you advise God on a regular basis? Hey, Lord, we need to talk about my kids this morning. And here's what I need you to do. He needs to get a job. And she needs to leave that guy. And you take care of all this, will you? I'm going to go to work. Who knows enough to do that? You know, the greatest satisfaction of your life is coming to know God. Nothing. Nothing is more satisfying. Why? There's no end to him. He's infinite. The more you find, the more there is to find. My dad used to say to me about the Bible, he said, son, you can study that book your entire life and you'll never even scratch the surface of how much is there. My dad gave me an awe of the Bible, which transferred into a healthy awe of Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so you and I need to realize there's a way to come to know God. This is why you can't just whip up some ideas about God and hang on to him because he's beyond anything you could ever imagine. He's further than you could ever go. He's deeper than you'll ever be. And so we have to have some help. And the Bible is the only revelation of God that we have. It's the only one that tells the story of how God brought everything into existence, how God related to mankind. It tells this amazing story of mankind telling God continually to butt out and God continually moving closer toward men, demonstrating a thousand times over just in your condensed Bible how much God loves us. That's the story of God. That's the revelation that we have about Him. And it's fully available to you. Listen, there are some good things. It's, it's good to listen to sermons, especially good ones, you know. Probably not bad ones, but good ones, you know. It's good to hear testimony. It's good to hear a friend in a small group share what God is showing them and what God is telling them. All of those things are good. But you need the Bible because you need firsthand witness of what God is, what God is doing, what God's done, what his character's like, and what he's like. This is what we need. So the Bible makes that connection happen for us. Because we need to learn, this isn't just about opening the Bible, studying it, get the information that teaches you about God. This is about actually something else. That step of some knowledge prepares you for the step that you need, which is the step of revelation. How do you know what God's voice is like? See, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 25, this this is one of my favorite passages over the last several years. Be careful. When someone in the Bible says, be careful, you should probably be careful. Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking, is speaking, is speaking. The Bible's what he has said, what he has done. It's a record of yesteryear. It's an eternal record in places, many places. But it's a record of what has been. This God who has is, because he's the I am. He's always present in every moment, at every point in time, at all times. And so this God who is speaking, he says, for if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. We have to learn to listen to our father. And the Bible teaches us his voice. It teaches us 
the code, so to speak, how he speaks, what he says. Because there are so many voices in your life. Our heads are these echo chambers, and we're at war within our own minds. It's why we try to drown out the noise. When I worked, to, when I worked at McDonald's, so I have eight children. So I don't listen to music often anymore because I just thank God for a moment of silence. <laughs> well, like when I drive a car, it's quiet. And if someone rides with me, there's a sign of the passenger seat that says, shut up. I'm just kidding. That's not true. I was just being silly. So I, I, I need quiet. You know, I have to. And most of us, when I was at McDonald's, they would crank the music all the time in the office. Whenever they're counting money, I cannot count money and listen to music at the same time. I will make a larger deposit than I have and end up in prison. And um, so, uh, but I was like, what is going on? Why do you people have to have noise everywhere you go? And it was a chaotic environment anyway. And then I figured it out one day. It's the echo chamber. There's just all these voices, these traumas, these criticisms, these lies, these things we remember, these voices in our head bouncing back and forth between our ears, voices generally of guilt and shame and criticism and failure, not generally of hope or life. And so we live in a world that's just learned to escape through every means possible. Well, that's not okay. We have a God who wants to speak to us, and in that myriad of voices in our head is the voice of God. How are we going to recognize that? How are we going to know what God sounds like? How are we going to know if something's from God? Because in the Bible, He tells us all kinds of ways He communicates with us, like through dreams, like through people speaking to us, through preaching, through testimony, all of these ways that God speaks. And you notice Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Old Testament and the New Testament in their initial settings were not read, they were heard by the average populace. The average person had to listen and absorb and try to memorize the things that they heard. And so we have to learn to hear and know God's voice because God gets a lot of credit for things he doesn't do or say. And uh, this may just be me. I don't mean to be judgmental or or, uh, critical But when someone tells me they've heard from God, I really always want to know what their biblical foundation is. Do they have enough understanding of the scriptures to know the voice of God yet? Something I kind of wonder. But the Bible says to test all the prophecies, so we respect that. But nonetheless, it's just a thought I have. So faith comes by hearing, and we have to learn to hear. So there's power in preaching. That's what this is today. I think a lot of things that are called preaching today, though, aren't actually preaching. I think they're complaining, griping. Typically, they're for the audience who isn't present. They're often very filled with guilt and shame, which is the word caruso is a word that's about good news. It's about proclaiming something and building something. So I think preaching should include truth and encouragement and courage. So that's just my thought on preaching. I think it's important. But I think you need the Bible. I think you need preaching. I think you also need testimony. Hey, just by a show of hands, has God ever moved in an awesome way in your life? Has God, just for a hand up. God, look at all that right around the room. Okay, put them down. That's a lot of stories in this room where God did something for somebody. We need to share those. 
We need to hear that. I mean, your testimony could save someone's life. How many, I don't know if this has ever happened for you, but it's happened for me several times. I've been in a small group or having coffee with a friend, and they've shared a story from their life that gave me courage to take another step in my own life. Or gave me courage to endure another day in my own trial. That's what the Word of God does. It encourages you. It builds you up. It strengthens you. Does it correct you? Yes. But never without hope. God doesn't do stuff that's hopeless. It's all covered in the blood. A few weeks ago, one of my sons, we've been texting back and forth. He's got some things going on in his life. And uh, he texted me, and this is going to sound maybe a little awful, but this is what I live for. This is why I do, one of the reasons I do what I do. He texted this message and he said, and he shared with me a scripture he'd read, and he said, Dad, I think God's telling me to do this. And I waited, and here comes the follow-up text like 10 seconds later. I don't want to. And I texted back, sounds like dad. Sounds like the way the father works. Because when the father's calling you into something truly good, you almost never see the goodness in it. And he has to call you into it. The best parts of your life, usually you had to wade through the last thing you wanted to do. And the father's the same way. And so I, I love to hear that stuff. There's also power in discussion. This is why I love small groups. Even in small groups, is you and a friend over a cup of coffee or tea or hot water, whatever you do. I I just want you to know I've kind of switched more to green tea lately, and it has sucked a lot of happiness out of my life. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm I'm just teasing. I was drinking way too much coffee. But it's good to sit down and just iron sharpening iron. What, what I, listen, I love it when Christians get together on any basis. But I like it even more when they talk about what God's doing in their life, what they're learning, what they're struggling with, what God's carrying them through. That's, that's beautiful. I think that builds our connection with each other and with God. And this is important. It's important that we learn God's voice. Like last week you got out early. I'm taking it back today. Matthew 24, 24. Some of you were going, but I wasn't here last week. Sorry. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I won't be that much longer. Matthew 24, 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. You got to know there's an enemy out there that's telling lies. And he knows how to look a lot like Jesus. So we have to learn God's voice and we need to learn it well. Does that make sense? So the Bible. The Bible's our guide. The Bible's our connection. And lastly, the Bible's our weapon. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And Hebrews 4.12, which I want to come back to later, says, For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Bible's our weapon. First, against your own thoughts. Your thoughts are killing you. The things you think and believe that aren't true are eating your lunch. And the only way we can find truth is to go to its source, and God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
You have traumas in your mind. You have seasons of your life that are shaped by fear and not by faith. And we have a lot of misunderstandings. This is why we get mad at God. We, we misunderstand. We blame God for all the bad things that are happening in our life, and we take credit for all the good things that are happening in our life. works out for us until it doesn't. And so we need to understand that these thoughts are harmful to us. We don't naturally think like God. And we need to learn to think like God. We need to have the kind of thoughts that are in his mind, in his mind. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 10, 4, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. This, that word of God is your greatest weapon against your own stinking thinking, as Zig Ziglar used to call it. The ideas in your head that aren't true, that are deeply rooted in darkness and not in light. And so your thinking is sabotaging your life, your family, and it needs to be uprooted and replaced. This is why Jesus said the truth will set you free. So we need that weapon in our own minds, but we also have an enemy. We'll talk about him more later. If you try and live your Christian life in ignorance or denial of an enemy, you're, in tr- you're going to be in trouble. He's, you're going to be an easy target for him. And there's no need for that to be. I don't think Satan can read your mind, but I think he can read your face just fine. How many of you know what someone that's close to you is thinking? I mean, like you look at your husband or your wife and you know what they're thinking. <laughs> I think he's very intelligent, and he understands. He's very highly emotional, intelligent, emotionally intelligent, psychologically intelligent. Um, I think he can put thoughts in your head that you think are your own, but he's a liar. He has always been a liar. He will always attack. He will always attack. If you're taking notes, write this down: your faith, your identity, and your worship. I would really like to rant on worship for a while, just so people understand. If Satan can stop worship, he stops a lot of miracles and a lot of healing. If he can stop you from worshiping, stop her. This is why Pastor Steve is here as the worship pastor, because the worship team is its own unique battlefield. The enemy's always trying to destroy the worship team. Always. Because he wants to end worship. Michael, that was a rant. Yes, it was. Write it down. We're moving on now. He would not back down from the Son of God, so why do you think he'd back down from you? He tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Luke 4, Matthew 4. So if he is going to tempt Jesus, he's going to go after you. So you have to learn how to confront the lies that he throws at you with the truth. And that's where the Scriptures come in. It's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus used the Bible... The scriptures to put Satan in his place. That's how he resisted the enemy. The enemy says things that aren't true. And Jesus says, oh, look, here's what the truth is. And that's all he had to do. That was how he resisted it. So God's word beats the devil. And so how are you going to deal with your most vicious enemy in life? Are you just going to hold on? Are you just going to positive attitude your way through it? Are you going to do what Jesus did? Again, the guy that rose from the dead, I think I'm going to go with what he does. So I'm going to get a Bible and I'm going to learn the truth about me, about God. Because when the enemy comes with his lies, 
to destroy my faith, to drive deep the traumas that I'm going through. I want truth to fight that with, to bring that up. And that's going to give me victory because here's the great thing about your fight with the enemy. All you have to do is resist him and he runs because he's scared of you. You have authority to trample the enemy. Jesus gave you that. And so the enemy knows that if you ever wise up enough to stop and say, hold on, cowboy, that ain't true. He runs because he knows he's about to get his tail kicked. Uh, Can we say that in church? Yeah, of course we can. God's word is so powerful. God's word is so powerful. The God who is speaking Jesus, who is the Word and the expression of God, the Spirit that's giving it life and changing it. Because, see, that's the Bible. Those words on that page, they don't change. But what they say to you, oh, that's, that's deep, that's real, and it's often getting deeper and more profound all the time. So get in that powerful Word of God. Because Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact re- representation of His being sustaining all things by His powerful Word. We need this. We need the Scriptures. We need specifically the Bible. Okay, one more cat. One more thing I'll throw out there. Get a translation that makes sense. Something you read that makes sense. Do it. And like, oh, but they had this translation when I grew up, and it reminds me of going to church. That's, that's nice. I have that too. But I need to know what God's saying. I don't need to spend 30 minutes looking up ancient words or the wrong ones. So get something to understand. What do I read? For reading, I read the NLT. For study, I use a a bunch. ESV, New New English Translation, New American Standard, and some others. So uh, that's just me. If you need any of that, you got it now. And you're like, I didn't. Okay, moving right along. What happens... What happens when this powerful Word of God from the foundations of the world, established forever, that cannot be altered, what happens when this powerful Word of God is in your mind? What happens when this powerful Word of God is on your tongue? What happens when the God who said, let there be light, and bam, there was light, when the words of that God are the words that fill your life. Can you see how this could be life-changing? Can you see how this could be powerful for your life? It's a different kind of energy that doesn't come from food or the things you drink. It's an energy that comes from the Spirit, and it's the most powerful energy in the world because it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and that power inhabits every believer that's committed and thrown Jesus as Lord of their life. So, I want to conclude with that verse we read just a second ago, and here's your assignment. Here's, you have homework this week. You have homework. For the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. I would like to challenge you to read that verse every day. That's, that's the assignment. Hey, you can read it out of any translation you want. You can even use the message. The message will mess with you. And I totally affirm that. But I just read it out of, 
just read it daily and think about it because what I'm wanting you to do is to realize that the words that God has spoken are meant to inhabit you. I mean, if Jesus is the Word of God and He lives in you, then of course the Word of God inhabits you. And that's my challenge to you today. Get into God's Word. Let's turn this into 100% of this room is in the Bible more than four days a week. Let's pray. Father God, I pray, Lord, for every soul that's in this room. I pray that my challenges have been those of grace and hope and that any guilt or shame would be erased in a simple act of turning to God. I pray, Lord God, for the Word of God to just be magnified in this body. Father, for us, for us to achieve what you have called us to achieve, we need this deep footing in what you have said. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint our church with your word. And I pray for every person that's here today. Uh, some may be struggling, like, I don't even know if I trust the Bible. Father, I pray that you would encourage them to just, just read it anyway. Find out for themselves. Just plow into it and see what God has to say. And I pray that for Christians struggling right now with circumstances that are calling their faith in you into question, I pray that they would climb into your word and they would start to hear what you have to say. And I pray that all of us will have these moments where we hear from you and they are hard moments that are like, well, I don't want to do that. But then we do. And then we level up and then we overcome because that's what obedience does. So I pray, Lord, that you would just fill this room with hope. I pray if anyone needs prayer for anything, a miracle, for encouragement, a situation, I pray that they would come and they would receive prayer at my right, their left. We have some prayer folks over there. I pray that they would do that. They would not leave without hope today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Steve.